It's great to be here with you this morning, uh, whether you're here on our Canandaigua campus, part of our online community, or Hopewell campus. Before we jump into the message this morning, I just want to pause. I think all of us have seen the images coming out of Afghanistan, and uh, our hearts and prayers are with those who are still over there. Um, there are nearly estimated at least 4,000 Christians in Afghanistan. Um, we have been told that the Taliban has made it very clear that anyone who's found to be a believer there will be executed. Um, they actually said burned alive. And so as I was coming to church this morning, I thought about all the issues that we uh, were thinking through, like what to wear, um, what to have for breakfast, which service to attend, whether we watched online. And, and believers over there, they're, they're literally, literally, um, uh, their life is in jeopardy. There are agencies on the ground who are trying to get them out. There are some countries who have said if they, if they can, that they would be able to take them there. But to be very honest with you, the things that I'm hearing, and I'm certainly not in a know like others, but what I'm hearing is, is that we need a miracle uh, to be able to get them out of there. And we happen to know someone who does those. And so I want to make sure we spend some time in prayer. Um, of course, there's Americans trying to get out of there. There are 80,000 allies, Afghan allies we're trying to take care of and, and, and countless other allies throughout the world who are present there, but we're trying to make sure that they get home safely as well. On top of all that, I want to give a word out there that if you have served in the military or currently serving in the military, my prayers are with you as well. I know that the images bring back um, some things for others that it's sort of hard for them to deal with. I had conversations over the past week with individuals who are wrestling with that, and I, I want you to hear from me, not that not that um, my word means anything to you this way, but I just feel I want to say it anyway. Thank you for your service. For those of you who, who have lost individuals over the past 20 years or so, um, thank you for your sacrifice. Um, and I, I know there are questions whether uh, maybe perhaps I've heard people say, you know, was it worth what we did, those type of things. I just want to say that fighting evil is always worth it. Uh, your example is much appreciated. Um, and so as we pray, we just want to remember all this in, uh, in our prayers, and I just ask you to come in agreement with me. Um, uh, may we take our freedom of worship uh, in full advantage to pray for those who, who don't have it today. Uh, let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning with heavy hearts. We got brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world, as Pastor Dave prayed earlier, but we, we put our attention specifically for Afghanistan this morning those 4,000-some believers whose life is in jeopardy. And, Lord, we thank you for the organizations that are on the ground right now uh, trying to get them to, to airports and elsewhere so that they can get them out of country to places where they can be safe and worship freely. And, Lord, from what I'm hearing is it's going to take a miracle that the things that are happening are so, uh, it's so difficult, so many challenges. And, Lord, we know you do miracles. And, and we just ask, Lord, that, that once again you would do a miracle, that you would get these Christians to safety, Lord, that you would be with our American brothers and sisters who are trying to get out of the country, uh, our Afghan allies, Lord God, who are, who are trying to get out, and others uh, throughout the world, the missionaries who are there, Lord, who love the people that they've been working with, the people you've been called them to minister to, and yet they're, they're making some hard decisions right now. God, you are their God, and I pray that you would just work in a way like only you can. We lift this up to you with confidence, and we thank you that you, the God who created the universe, ask us to partner with you in prayer. That when we pray, literally, the resources of heaven are, re are released on situations. And I, totally, I, don't, I don't totally understand all of that, but I know that you invite me, that that resource is available. And so we take that resource and we, we, we pray, we trust. 
Lord, many times prayer seems like the last resort, but we realize it should be the first resort. There is power in prayer because the one we're speaking to has all the power. And so, God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the way you're working. We pray that you give our leaders wisdom. I can't imagine the decisions they're making, and I just pray, God, that you would just give them uh, wisdom, uh, give them insight, Lord God, beyond what any human uh, could have on their own. Uh, I'm sure they're praying the same, and so we partner with them uh, in those prayers. And, Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do and look forward to seeing you show up in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the question we're going to look at, we're in this series asking for a friend. The questions were brought to us from small groups last spring. And so the question that, that came up, and I thought, what a great question. All of them are great questions, but here's another one. How to enjoy the stuff of earth without being worldly? How, how do we enjoy the stuff of earth without being worldly? And, and so I first went to a dictionary. I, I, I thought I knew what worldly was, but I thought, what, what does Webster define worldly as? And and some other dictionaries. And so worldly is relating to or devoted to the temporal world. It's being concerned with worldly affairs, especially to the neglect of spiritual things. So if you go to any dictionary, that's sort of the type of definition you're going to get. But I thought, well, what's the biblical definition? We have a biblical understanding of worldliness. It's this. Being worldly is pursuing the stuff of this earth bent on selfish gain. Replacing God as Lord of one's life and the focus of one's greatest love. And so we're going to unpack this a little bit. If that's the definition of worldliness, going back to our question, well, how then do we enjoy the stuff of earth without being worldly? Paul. Paul's speaking to the church in Corinth. And the Corinthian church is sort of an interesting church. I love it when people say, I wish we could just be like the first century church. But when you read the, the letters to the first century church, you realize they were just as messed up as we were, as we are. Like, if you want to know what the first century church was like, just look at ourselves. Uh, they were people who loved Jesus, people on different spiritual journeys. Um, Corinth, in particular, really was falling in love with Jesus, but was really expressing it in really poor ways. They were having inappropriate parties. I mean, they were just doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And, and Paul's writing to this Corinthian church, this young church of believers. And he writes in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? And so Paul's saying, you know, if you're tired of the messages I'm sending to you and the ones that I've preached to you, then grow up. That's really what he's saying. He's saying, saying that you're just not mature enough to handle uh, more teaching. And so I have to constantly come back to these other things because you're immature in your faith. And so he's strongly encouraging them to grow up, to mature in Christ. And, and he says, if you do that, then you'll get away from your worldly behavior. In fact, here's the point. Growing up and maturing in Christ really leads to eliminating worldliness from our life. And so it's not necessarily, to eliminate worldliness isn't necessarily about looking at what might be worldly in our life and trying to attack that. It's focusing on God and growing in him, and then worldliness begins to evaporate because our priorities change. As we become more and more like Christ, we, we begin to understand his character, becomes more evident in our life, his priorities, his purpose, his love, begins to, begins to be more of who we are. So worldliness, and, and one way of looking at it, is really the exact opposite of godliness. And so if you want to know how to overcome worldliness, you seek Jesus. So a common question often asked is this. 
Is it right to enjoy the things I have? Is it right to enjoy the things I have, be it objects, friends, or even food? Or should I feel guilty for enjoying that? And and there are Christians who have things and feel guilty for having them. And and there are some Christians who will make others feeling guilty for the things they have. And so there's this whole misconception of what God's calling us to when when we deal with possessions and worldliness. See, worldliness is not enjoying things. And when you're enjoying something, that doesn't make you worldly. And we'll unpack that in just a minute. But as I read through the scriptures, I'm led to believe that God created all the good, wholesome things in the, on earth, fun things, for our blessing and for us to enjoy. A, a joyless existence, catch this, a joyless existence of, of mere rule following is not true Christianity and the abundant life that God has come to give us. Uh, certainly, sin often causes the good wholesome, enjoyable, and fun things to be perverted into something harmful and debased. But I believe as we look at scripture, we realize that God's original intent was that we would enjoy the things that he's made, that we would enjoy one another. And so attention all followers of Christ must navigate in their life is embracing a single-minded devotion to Christ while enjoying the wonderful, beautiful, and delightful things such as people, hobbies, and everything else. The challenge for believers is to keep Christ as the supreme love of their life while enjoying the things that God has brought into their lives. And so what I want to do, I want to share two truths and two dangers from Scripture when it deals with this idea of worldliness and enjoying the things of God and putting God first. Two truths and two dangers. The first truth is this. God is to be first in our life with no close rival. And and there's two points there as we look at that truth that needs to be unpacked just a bit. God needs to be first, and I think most of us who, who have been around the church long and been being discipled, we understand that. God needs to be first in our life, but the second one is with no close rival. And I think that one can be difficult because a lot of times we try to say God first and then what second, your family, spouse, whatever. But they're supposed to be a far second to God. And I don't know about you, but sometimes that's difficult. It's not just about keeping God first, it's making sure that there's not even a close rival to him. Back in the Old Testament book of Exodus, we read, Exodus 23, you shall have no other gods before men. No other gods. Now, for us in 2021, we go, we don't worship other gods. You know, back in the Old Testament, they literally worshiped other images. But we do have other gods that that compete for for the Lord's place as number one in our life, don't we? And it could be a family member. It it can be something, right? It could be a vehicle. It it, it could be anything that rivals God as our God. So we're to worship the one true God and, and nothing or, and nobody else. In fact, Christ, when asked, what, what's the greatest commandment? Most of you could probably recite this. He record, Luke records for us his words, Luke 10, 27, first part of the verse. What does Jesus say? Greatest commandment. First part, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Another way of saying that is love God with everything. You want to know the first commandment is love God for everything. No other God, but love him with everything. We're to give uh, our total devotion to God. We're to love God with, with everything we have above everything else. So that's truth number one. The second truth is this. There is nothing inherently evil with relationships, hobbies, and stuff. Remember, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? In, in the beginning, he creates Adam, he creates man. He says, it's not good for man to be alone, so he creates Eve, which, by the way, what a blessing. 
And, and he, he looks at his creation and he says, it is what? Do you remember? It's good. The actual Hebrew word is it's very good. Which, of course, God made it, so of course it would be very good, right? And, and so God makes these things. He says, look, it, it, it's very good. And, and yet sin has marred what God declared as good. And, and let's be honest. We sometimes pervert what God declares as good. We do. Relationships and, and stuff. So there's nothing inherently evil with relationships, hobbies, and stuff. And there have been those within the past 2,000 years of Christianity who believed otherwise, who believed that stuff was evil, and that even sometimes relationships was evil, and they went to, to, to really far extremes to, to keep away from things. And, and that's just simply not true. As we look at Scripture, there's nothing inherently evil with relationships, hobbies, and stuff. So there's two truths. But now let's look at two dangers. Here's the first danger. People, hobbies, and stuff can lead to idolatry. Adultery. Adultery is the worshiping of anyone or anything in the place of God. It's when we allow things of earth to be too precious to us, and we love them too much. I want to share with you one of the most misinterpreted and misspoken spoken verses in all Scripture. I've heard it oftentimes quoted incorrectly. In his 1 Timothy 6.10, Paul's writing to his young protege, Timothy. And in 1 Timothy 6.10, listen to what he writes. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and, and pierced themselves with many pangs. That word pangs could be sorrows. Pierced themselves with many sorrows. I have heard people actually quote this verse and say money is the root of all kinds of evil. Is that what the verse says? It's what? The... The love of money. The love of money. Paul is not saying that, that desiring wealth is wrong. As a matter of fact, I had a friend years ago. He was a fellow camp speaker at a teen camp we were both at. And he said, you know, I hate money. And I go, so you must hate food. How many of you drove here today or were driven here today? Right? Did you do it in a car or a truck or something? That costs money. Have you put gas in a car lately? It costs money. Right? <laughs> Those things cost money. I enjoy, I enjoy that type of freedom. I enjoy the food I eat. I enjoy, uh, money is not evil. Money's not evil. So my friends say, oh, I hate money. I said, well, you seem to like some of the things money brings to you. God provides through those things. It's, it's the love of money. It, it warns that the, such pursuit comes with particular temptations. Anyone ever been there? <laughs> comes with particular temptations. Money's not evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Think about it. Money, things, hobbies, and relationships are not bad, but our desire for them can lead to, to trappings that brings sorrow. A fulfilled life does not consist in the abundance of things. I want to say that again. The, the fulfilled life, fulfilled life. It, 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 it does not consist of the abundance of things, but in faith and godliness. And that's true whether you have or have not. True wherever you're on the financial plane. Our, our joy our consist, comes with who we are in Christ and nothing else. In, in fact, you may find, find all the money in the world and not find happiness. Although there's an old country song that says, but it will buy you a truck and it will buy you a house. But it can't buy you happiness. The second danger. The way we relate and prioritize relationships, hobbies, and stuff can lead to ingratitude. Ingratitude. And gratitude is failing to recognize the kindness and favor of God in providing someone or something. 
It's a lack of thankfulness to God as the ultimate provider of all things. Paul's writing to the believers in Ephesus. And listen to what he writes, Ephesians 5.20. Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then listen to James' instructions. James 1.17, first part of the verse. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And then listen to Psalm 107.1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Do you see a theme there? Be thankful. God has granted these things to you. Be thankful. And I'll hear people who will say, well, God didn't give me this. I worked hard for it. But who created you? The scripture says that even the breath in our lungs is because of God. And so we need to be mindful of God's good character, and, and we need to see all that we have as gifts from him, and we need to understand that none of us, no matter what we think, none of us are truly self-sufficient. We need God. You've heard me say this before. People say, well, Christianity is just a crutch for you. And I say, no, it's my life support. It's my everything. It's not a mere crutch. The breath of my lungs is from God. Every perfect gift is from him. Every day. I need to be thankful and mindful of who he is. After all, we are God's creation, living in God's creation, enjoying his creation. That in part is why I love going out in nature. And when I'm out there, I feel so close to God. But I also feel a responsibility of keeping it as clean as I can and, and caring for it because God created it. And we're responsible to, 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 to take those things which God has created for us to enjoy and, and care for it well. All we have is on loan from God. And sometimes it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that, but if we'd wrap our mind around that, it would change the way we hold on to things. We need to look at God as, as giving us things to enjoy, but with a heart of gratitude. And, and here's the problem. There are some believers in an attempt to avoid not being ungrateful and idolatry, to, to totally keep away from the things of earth, to, to stiff arm the blessings of God. And, and in an attempt to not just be distracted from God, they simply enjoy, uh, they simply keep away from enjoying any of his creation, anything, because they don't want to fall down the slippery slope of sin. The problem with that is, is if God's trying to give you something, it's never good to say to him, no, 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 no. Because <laughs> he's given it for a purpose. God is good at being God, we are not. Come on, church. God is good at being God, we are not. And some even try to do a balancing act. They feel like, you know, you put your love for God here and then things, and you're trying to do this type of thing. And then they ask the question. I say, you know, how can I have these things in my life? If, if, if this, can I have things and love God? And, and their answer is no. And yet, when we look at Scripture, there's a better way. There's a biblical way. In order to enjoy the stuff of earth without being worldly, we really need to ask a simple question that directs our steps. Here, here's the question. Do the things such as people, hobbies, and everything else in our life point us toward God or away from him? That's really the key question, right? Like, do the things in my life, whether it be a relationship, whether it be a thing, whether it be a hobby I enjoy, is it pointing me toward God or away from God? If it's pointing me toward God, then I should embrace it and thank him for it. If, it, if it's turning me away from God, then I need to ask some questions. It doesn't mean necessarily I get rid of it, but I need to ask some questions. Why is, that, why is that negatively impacting the way I look at the Lord? See, God sometimes uses his gifts to us, the stuff of earth, to lead us to know God more fully. And the goal of the Christ follower is to joyfully embrace God's good gifts to us 
without allowing them to become worldly distractions, stealing our infection, affection for him. I, I one time, I had a canoe. And I was able to pay cash for it. I had this canoe, and I wasn't using the canoe. I just wasn't using it. And I began to feel guilty because I wasn't using this canoe, even though, really, I had no responsibility. I didn't have to use the canoe. There was no law that says if you own a canoe, you got to use it. But I really felt guilty for it. And so one day, I came under my wife and said, I'm going to sell the canoe. And she said, why? I said, I don't use it. And she said, well, what if you want one? I said, yeah, but I'm feeling guilty because I have a canoe I don't use, and I'm going to get rid of the guilt by getting rid of the canoe. Do you see what I'm saying? Easy solution sometimes. It was gone, I didn't feel guilty again. Now, as soon as it was gone, I wish I canoed more. It's just the way of life. Just the way of life. Just the way of life. But you get what I'm saying? God leads us and guides us. Nothing wrong if I had kept it, but because it was becoming a burden to me, the Lord was like, just get rid of it. We'll figure this out later. I'm still working on you, and he still is, by the way. We're called to enjoy everything in God and enjoy God in everything. I want to say that again. We're called to enjoy God, right? To enjoy God, everything in God and to enjoy God in everything. I believe the scriptures teach us that God created the, created the heavens and the earth and everything in it for our pleasure. God, God wants us to enjoy the, the beauty of what he's given to us. But he wants us to do it with open hands and open minds and open hearts. And that's really the key. So, so the things that I have, whether it be an object or a loved one or anything else, I, I've got I've to realize they're on loan from God and, and, and hold them up to the Lord. Many of you know my parents just within the past three years passed away. And I don't know if anyone has ever had anyone close to you pass away and not ask the question, God, why now? Why not another day? Why not another week? Why not another month? How about a few more years? You know, if my dad, you know, he got to see his granddaughter, but he never got to see his granddaughter. Why not just another six months, right? And, and here's what I've learned. I, I, I just, bunny trail with me for a minute. Here's what I've learned. When you're wrestling with that stuff, don't try to hide it from God. He, he's not fragile. <laughs> you know, how many of you are married? Okay, don't get in trouble, so you don't have to make any reaction. I'll get in trouble for all of us, Okay. Have you ever been in a situation, I know you have, where your spouse was upset and you asked the question, is everything okay? And they go, yes. <laughs> Are you sure? Yes. You know something's bothering them, but they don't want to tell you. Maybe they're afraid of how you're going to react or, you know, don't want to burden you with it or they're so upset. They, whatever, right? I mean, that never happens in my marriage, but if it did, it would look something like that. <laughs> we do that to God. And you know what the difference is? God knows exactly what's bothering you. You know? I've had Christians say, I'm really upset with God right now, but I don't want to tell him. I go, well, you already did. <laughs> like, he already knows. And yet he loves you. And so with my parents, for instance, I, I went to him and I said, I'm, I'm a little disappointed in it. I'm a little upset. I'm not upset with you necessarily, but I don't know, maybe. I'm, I'm messed up right now. You know? And all of a sudden, the Lord began to minister to me. I'm like, God, thank you for every day I had with them. Thank you for, the, thank you for giving them on loan for me. Thank you for that I was raised in the home I was raised in. Not everyone can say that, but I can. Thank you for that. And there's freedom, freedom. And, and saying, God, they were yours anyway. They were never mine. And nothing I have is really mine. It's his. I'm a steward of it. And that's what God calls us to. There's an interesting individual found in the Old Testament. His name's Job. Whole book named after him. 
In fact, many of you know this, I've shared it, but it was the first book of the Bible I ever read through. No one had ever told me, no one ever told me where to start reading in scripture. And so I realized that this guy's name was Job, but it's spelled Job. So that was how deeply spiritual my first book was chosen to read through. I thought, this is sort of neat. Have, have you read Job? Come on now. If you can read through Job as the first book of the Bible and get to the end and say, man, I'm in for this thing, you can read any book in Scripture. If you've read many books in Bible and you haven't read Job, read it. If you haven't read any other book through in the Bible, do not start with Job. Go to the Gospels. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do what I did. Don't do as I do, do as I say. But, you know, but, but I read it. I read it. And, and, and that book just fascinated me. Job had everything. Like he has this big family. He has all this money. He's, he's called a righteous man. And the book starts out where he loses everything. All right, if you haven't read it, now you know what I'm talking about, right? And, and he loses everything. And listen, this is Job chapter 1, verse 21. Listen how he responds to this. This losing of everything, family, money. I mean, it's crazy. Matter of fact, the one thing, if you read the book, I, Bunny Trail again, the one person God leaves him is a wife who tells him to curse God and die. I thought, I wonder if Job thought, could you have taken her? Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. God help me. Why do I say things? I got friends out there who used to say, Craig, just stop. Just stop. Okay. All right. So he loses everything except the wife. He loses everything. Job 121. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. There's a guy who gets it. I didn't have anything when I came into the world. When I leave the world, I can't take anything with me. The Lord gives and he takes and he's God, I'm not. In fact, when you read the end of the book of Job, Job's asking questions. I mean, wouldn't you ask questions? Have you ever gone through things and just asked questions of God? And I love it because Christians, some of them believe when you get to heaven, you won't have any questions because you have all the answers. And that's not what my Bible says, by the way. When you get to heaven, you just won't care what the answers are. Like, we're still going to be in awe of God. You're not going to get to heaven and be God. You're going to get to heaven and be fully human, which isn't God. And you're going to be okay with that. But Job's asking God some questions, and God answers with questions. He basically says, Job, were you there when I created the earth? Were you there when I did this? Were you there when I did that? And if you read it at face value, it seems a little mean. Job just was asking a question. Can't you answer the question? But God is answering the question. And what God's answering the question is by saying this, you're not mean, you won't get it. I've sat across from people and, and, and we've wrestled through some things together and at the end of the day, the number one lesson we can really learn is that God loves us and we're not God and he's good at doing his job and we can't do his job. And there's some things we won't understand. And so Job goes back to his original lesson because he says, well, blessed be the Lord. And even at the end of the book, because he, he understands, he's like, you know what? I may not understand why sometimes you give these things and sometimes you take these things away, but I know that you're good and I'll praise your name in the midst of it. Years ago, there was a course taken from this exact verse. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we were singing it in church. I promise you, we were singing. We were in the midst of, the, of, of singing this, this worship time and someone tapped me on the shoulder. And it was a little annoying, to be honest with you. But I was old enough not to say it. But he literally said to me, he said, that song we're singing, he goes, I don't really believe it. He goes, I don't, I don't know what the Lord would ever take from a child of God. What? All the things running in my mind, right? But I didn't say. I knew I was growing in Christ. But I thought, you're either one of two things. 
so blessed that nothing's ever been taken from you? You've never suffered a loss? I guess three things, or you're a liar, or you're crazy. You know what I mean? And I didn't say it, but I just thought through those things. And this guy had, had been growing in this health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that you hear in sometimes. That all God wants to do is, is bless you. All God wants to do is give you things. God will never take anything away from you. And I thought, this guy's living in ignorance. Is there anyone in this room who hasn't suffered loss of something? I mean, so that health, wealth, and prosperity, let me just be really blunt, it's heresy. It's wrong. Run away from it. It's not helpful. Any more, by the way, than the belief that God wants you to have nothing. So what's Job say? When he gives it to you, enjoy it. When he takes it away, it's his anyway. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job still mourns his losses. And who won it? As I lost my parents, I, I mourned through those losses. When my sister-in-law died at a young age, I mourned through those losses. Yeah, I had questions, but I knew I wouldn't understand why things go the way they do, and we live in this fallen world, and, and although we crave paradise, we want everything perfect, it's not gonna happen here, it's gonna have to happen in the next chapter, but thank God there's a next chapter for those of us in Jesus, amen? Amen. And Job gets it. He acknowledges God's control over every possession, and, and, and he, he finds consolation in God. And Job took the proper attitude. See, catch this. You and I can find God everywhere, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of loss. And everything from our family to our food to our hobbies to the natural world can draw us to God. I believe God's calling out to all of us, every single one of us. He's calling out to us. He's saying, come to me. Come to me in a, and come know me in a very deep and genuine way because I have good things for you. And those things may not be objects. It, it may be peace. It may be strength. It may be wisdom. And by the way, it may be scattered with some things. And we enjoy them. Here's what I know. There are some of you in this room that God may be calling you to live with less. There may be. I had a friend years ago who was sharing a story, and he said he had saved up for a, a baby grand piano. And he finally got one, and like months later, God challenged him to give that piano to a church that needed one for worship. And he said, God, I remember I saved all this money. You gave me this. And God said, yeah, now I want it back, and I want you to put it over here. I said, what did you do? He said, I gave it to the church. He said, any time I could, I went and practiced on it there. <laughs> Amazing. God may call you to live with less. But listen to this. God may be calling you to live with abundant blessings as a witness of his goodness to your neighbors, friends, and family. He may call you to live with more. This is what I know. Only you and God can work that out in your life. And if someone tells you God wants you to live with less, you should tell them they're not God. And if someone tells you God wants you to live with more, you should tell them they're not God. There is a God, and he can speak to you. Like he's really good at it if we listen. And so God may call you with less. Here's the thing. God may call you for less here and more here and less. He can do what he wants. He's God. He knows. And if we trust him, we either do or we don't, right? 
And so this, this idea of in order to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to live in poverty, or this, in order to be a follower of Jesus, you need to trust that this health, wealth, and prosperity. Listen, no. In order to live in Jesus, we keep our eye on him, and he tells us what we need and don't need and how we use it and don't use it. Come on, church, don't get quiet on me. See, if you're daily and earnestly seeking the Lord, he will lead you. Trust him. Hands open, wide open. God, it's yours anyway. Have your way. So how do we enjoy the stuff of earth without being worldly? We come to know God. And we love him with everything. And having done that, we establish in our very souls that God is supreme. We love him above all. Then, then, we receive the stuff of earth as a gift. And we enjoy those things for his sake and in his name. So, how do we enjoy the stuff of earth without becoming worldly? We enjoy God more than anything else and let him lead us. That's how. You go, well, I wanted three steps. There isn't one. There's only one step. Every day, take it toward God, and you'll be walking in the right path. Let's pray. Let's pray. But before we do, if, if you've yet to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, that's the step. That's the step that allows all this other stuff to make sense. And I encourage you, whether you're here on our campus, online, hope well. If you've yet to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, won't you consider doing so even now? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for loving us so deeply that we can trust you even with the unexplainable. And Lord, those things we need to understand, we can understand. You make it so clear in your word. And like Job, I think all of us have experienced losses and not really known why those losses happened the way they did. And Some people find hope that when they are in paradise, they'll know the why, but yet the reality of it is the why won't even matter then. It's always about the who. And you're that who. You're God. You created us. You love us. You know what's best. And Yes, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where, where it's messy, where the losses that come are because of sin and oftentimes because we, we have just messed things up and, and yet you love us all the same. You're faithful even when we're faithless. You love us and you don't just say you love us, you showed it on the cross. And Lord, I just pray, if there's anyone here in the sound of my voice, who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, that here and now in the quietness of our heart, they say, thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for being resurrected for my salvation. Thank you for this amazing privilege of doing life with you. And Lord, then whatever we're dealing with, whether it's hurt from the past, whether it's a loss, whether it's trying to wrestle with the things we have, Lord, we can, we can give all those things to you. And you're so faithful to work us through that. We may not get all the answers, but we'll get so much more. You said that you would give peace to those who trust you. You give strength to those who trust you. You give wisdom to those who ask. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we can enjoy you and thank you we can enjoy the stuff around us and that we can allow even those things to draw us closer to you. Now that's a miracle. And we give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.